Well, I guess Pete Buttigieg gets the nod as being one of the first to at least tacitly blame the United States for what happened to the Ukrainian airliner. He tweeted out, innocent civilians are now dead because they were caught in the middle of an unnecessary and unwanted military tit for tat. My thoughts are with the families and loved ones of all 176 souls lost aboard the flight. Um, Now, he doesn't expressly blame Trump, but he implies that it's Trump's fault. Remember, they're, they, they are operating under the premise that Trump started this, in spite of the fact that Soleimani started this. Remember, he just killed an American contractor. The intelligence suggests, and even the protesters, air quote, protesters, the terrorists in Baghdad who assaulted our embassy, said that he was their leader. So, again... Um, they, they're trying to rewrite history on this stuff. So a lot of people are looking for interesting names for him. Persian Pete is, a, is probably the one that rolls off the tongue the easiest. So there you go. 574-2595-953. Do you want to thank our sponsor, R&B Car Company? R&B has a huge selection of quality SUVs, cars, trucks, crossovers, and minivans. Go to rbcarcompany.com. I also wanted to let you know, since uh, many of you were asking me about Canada and what their position is, Justin Trudeau has said that uh, Canadian intelligence has now informed him that the intelligence they have suggests that Iran was responsible and that this was accidental. Okay. All right. 574-25-95-95-3. They also suggest two missiles hit it. They seem to know what the missiles were, and U.S. intelligence has satellite data that shows when they actually locked onto the aircraft. So I'm just passing on the information. I don't want to spend all day talking about it. We already spent an hour on it. I wasn't even planning on doing that, but uh, there you go. All right, 574-2595-953. An Indiana panel has rejected a proposal to raise teacher pay by $291 million. Uh, let's see... Indiana House Committee rejected a Democratic proposal on Tuesday that would have directed $291 million in unexpected state tax revenue toward one-time teacher pay bonuses. Now, remember, the Republican-controlled legislature recently diverted a large sum of money from the rainy day fund for teacher pay, and a lot of districts are now implementing that pay, although some did it before others. The Republican-controlled House Ways and Means Committee voted 13-7 to 7 along party lines against the proposal, going along with arguments from GOP Governor Eric Holcomb's budget director that it wouldn't be the best use of the money. Another legislative committee, meanwhile, advanced bills that would delay any penalties to schools from lower student scores on the state's new iLearn standardized test and to end the mandatory use of those test results in teacher evaluations. Now, Ways and Means Committee Republicans endorsed a bill backed by Holcomb that would direct the $291 million to paying cash rather than borrowing money for several planned college campus construction projects, as was allowed under the state budget approved in April. So, we've got this extra $291 million. Okay, By the way, yay us. The Democrats said, we'll take that money and give teachers a bonus, which sounds nice, right? Sounds real nice, but 
You've got all of these other projects that you are paying for with taxpayer dollars. So you're faced with a choice. Do we go ahead and give teachers this pay increase with this $291 million, or do we pay cash for stuff that we were going to have to finance, which will have interest that the taxpayer will have to pay long term, and ultimately cost us more than $291 million? So while I'm watching people collectively freak out over the idea that this money was not allocated for a teacher bonus, which for the record would have been nice, okay? But the budget director's got a very valid point here. Is this the wisest use of the money that we have? Yes, it would be nice to give teachers a bonus. Absolutely. It would be nice to raise their pay. But we've got things that we've got to pay for. And if we can pay for these things cash without having to finance them, in the long run, that makes the state finances better off and more capable of adding the the uh, increase to teacher salaries, which we are on a trajectory to do. So, in my mind, okay, at the risk of angering some teachers who want a windfall here, in my mind, budgetarily, this is the wiser decision. It's... I'm going to use this analogy, okay, but understand that I'm well aware that it's different than what we're talking about. You get your tax return at the end of the year. It's higher than you expected. Do you pay off your credit card debt or do you go buy some new stuff? And this is the equivalent of paying off that debt. So you don't have that interest payment anymore. You know, otherwise, we're financing all of these projects, which are going to cost us, um, they were saying it would cost about $135 million in interest payments. So technically, not giving these teachers this one-time bonus, and it's a one-time bonus, folks. It's important that you understand that. It's a one-time bonus. By not giving teachers a one-time bonus with this money, we have saved about $135 million in interest payments. Now, I don't know about you, But when I was in math, saving $135 million sounds like a pretty darn good deal to me. That doesn't help the teacher out there who wants a bonus. I I appreciate that. But if you can save $135 million by paying cash for a a taxpayer-funded project, why wouldn't you? That's $135 million in the future that we will not have to account for in budgetary negotiations that can now possibly possibly be allocated for something else or, God forbid, uh, we should maybe not raise people's taxes. Because keep in mind, if we took that $291 million, we gave teachers a windfall bonus, and then we have that $135 million in interest payments that we now had to account for, what's going to happen? They're going to come to us again and demand more tax hikes for all of these various programs. And some of those programs will obviously be education. But now we don't have to worry about that $135 million. So there's more flexibility long term. To me, it's the wiser decision. It's the better use of the money. Not because I don't think the teachers don't deserve the bonus. But because we have an opportunity here to pay for stuff that we were going to finance. And we no longer have to finance them. Again, to me, that just sounds like the better deal. Maybe, uh, maybe you think I'm out of touch. Five seven four twenty five ninety five ninety five three. Jim, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi there. Um, 
I have to take issue with you a little bit on something you just said. Um, you said you not that you're not saying that the teachers don't deserve the bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a subject that has irked me for years uh, because there, you're looking at a blanket bonus, apparently, and there are a lot of teachers out there that don't deserve this. Quick example, I have a child in uh, that's a special needs child uh, who uh, a few years ago we were in a small we were in a small area of town and uh, in let's see grade nine they had not taught her to uh, even tell time or count change. Yeah. I, I mean, I get where you're going, and I want you to know that, in principle, I totally agree with you. I prefer for teachers' bonuses to be performance-based. They obviously don't like that, and we have actually seen that performance, performance-based bonuses benefit education. In the states that use performance-based bonuses, we tend to see an improvement in test scores, Okay. In states that don't use okay. them, we tend to not see that. Now, that fluctuates depending on the state and how they organize their their instruction. So, in principle, I agree with you. There's a lot of people who are in education that do not deserve this bonus. 100% I agree with well, you on that. Let me say this. On, on the surface, I don't disagree. Um, on the surface, there are a lot of teachers out there that bust their butts that aren't making enough money. Correct. Uh, my problem is that um, there are also a large percentage of them out there that are sitting around watching the kids learn nothing. And, I'm, and I get pretty fed up with it. I've got a total of eight kids, and um, every one of them at some point in time has had a teacher or two that I just, what are you thinking? Yeah. You know? No, I, I'm with you. I, I was a straight-A student until a woman came along named Mrs. Horton. Mrs. Horton killed my desire to go to school. She was an English teacher in sixth grade. She is still, to this day, one of the worst, most loathsome human beings I have ever encountered in my entire life. That was the first time I encountered a teacher who was intentionally lowering scores because they didn't like your personality. And she killed my desire to go to school. My grades dipped as a result after that, because I didn't, I, I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to do everything right and some teacher is going to change my grade anyway, and the principal's not going to listen to me and the dean's not going to listen to me, then why bother? So, Absolutely. I, and, and conversely, I have had teachers that motivate you to be the absolute best you could possibly be. One of those would be Mr. Hawk, Mr. Rogers are on that list. So I've had those as well. Um, and there isn't an all or nothing, you know, it's, it's okay to acknowledge there are bad teachers and there are amazing teachers that deserve much more money. Um, you know, but it was, look, we had $291 million we didn't expect to have. And there was a proposal that, all right, let's take this, you know, Indiana 20th in education funding, but 38th in teacher salary on average. So there's a gap there that has to be dealt with. Now, some school districts pay very, very well and others do not. So, yes, a blanket application of this is not very efficient, but, of course, it looks good for for your unions and your voters and that sort of stuff. Um, But we're saving $135 million by paying cash for these projects. That's $135 million we don't have to pay in the future. I think that's great. Yeah. But I I guess my point is 
I think it would be better to spend the money on making sure that our teachers were doing what they were supposed to do and that we had quality teachers across the board rather than to throw money out there for nothing. I No, I, and I, I get it. Philosophically, where you're coming from, I totally get it. And the idea that you're going to get rid of the uh, the bonuses tied to the iLearn standardized tests, and I'm not sold on that. But, um, you know, again, there's, right. there's teachers in areas where English isn't very strong and, you know, they automatically have a more demanding job. Maybe it's a low-income area where the test scores are naturally going to be lower. Uh, and so they're like, you know, our ability to perform with the iLearn test scores is not as good as, say, Penn. So it's not fair to us to be losing out on bonuses while they get the bonuses based on the score because, you know, we have to do so much more to get there. And there's an argument well, to be had there as well. Well, hey, thank you for taking my call. That's about all I had to say. All right. I appreciate it. You take care. He's got eight kids. I mean, he's he's probably probably got a lot of experience with both good and bad teachers. But you know, like I said, it's, you know, this is going to be politicized, but really it kind of comes down to, look, we've got $291 million to do something with it. We can give it to people, many of whom will deserve it. And it looks good, sounds good for a little bit. And then we have to pay $135 million of it back at some point in time. Uh, well, it's actually not even, you know, really you're spending $291 million and then you're increasing that by $135 million. Because now you have $135 million minimum in new spending based on the interest rates. Those are just the interest payments. Or you could pay cash and not have to worry about that $135 million. So by spending this now you have saved the taxpayer of Indiana $135 million they no longer have to worry about in the future. Mathematically, that is the right choice. Emotionally, you probably, some of you, probably don't think so. We'll take more of your phone calls on this coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. Phone number 574-2595-953. That is 2595-953. You can also send a text message to 45364. Please put MNC at the beginning of that message. And once again, we are talking about the $291 million that uh, Indiana has and instead of giving a one-time bonus to Indiana educators, as was proposed by Democrats in committee, the Indiana House Committee rejected that proposal. They did that on Tuesday. Um, they are going to pay cash for some of the projects that are coming up, which also benefit education, by the way. Uh, again, Republican-controlled House Ways and Means Committee voted 13-7. to 7 along party lines, to go along with the budget director of the state of Indiana, saying that giving $291 million and a one-time bonus to educators in the state is not the best use of the money. And like I said, you might believe that they, that they um, deserve that. That's fine. But we also have college campus construction projects, several of them, that are now taking place. And so you can use the $291 million to do a one-time windfall for teachers, which again, sounds good, or 
you can pay cash for those projects and not have to deal with $135 million in interest payments down the road. In other words, by spending $291 million now, you spend $291 million. If you were to give $291 million to the teachers for a bonus, you would actually be spending $426 million. Spending $291 million versus $426 million is much better fiscally. So the budget director, Zach Jackson, I, I think he's got a very valid argument here. This seems like the best use of the money. Anyway, 574-2595-3. You might disagree with me. To the phone lines we go. Don, welcome to the program. Yes, hi. Uh, I thank you for taking my call. I, I think you just uh, took my thunder away from me with the $426 million because um, I was going to point that out, that mm. you've not only given up the 291 or whatever it is now, but you're giving up another 291 to do the project, and you're giving up another 100 million. Thirty-five million. So you know you're close. Up well, to, you're, yeah, you're you're actually you're actually more right than I am. Um, so I'm glad you did call because yeah, you, math error. Um, haven't had my steak today. Yeah, because you spend the two hundred ninety-one million dollars and you you are you're giving that to the teachers, but you still have to pay for the projects and finance charges on top of that. So you're right. So you've got the two hundred ninety-one million times two, and then you have the hundred thirty-five million in interest payments. Pretty soon you're talking about real money. Yeah, almost. You know, you're you're getting close to uh, three quarters of a billion dollars there. Some might say that's some serious cash. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of serious. Anyway, one other uh, one other point I wanted to make relative uh, to salary. Why is it? I'm not asking you. It's a rhetorical question. Okay. Why is it that private schools pay teachers way less than public schools? Mm-hmm. And yet the students perform way better than in public schools. That's just a rhetorical question. Yep, no, it's no, a fair point. No need, <laughs> no need to answer. There you I go. I know the answer, but I know the answer, but that's okay. I got I you. Hey, Don, Don, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And of course, no uh, reading between the lines is it's not it's not the money. Uh, now, you public schools will say, well, they only have to deal with a few kids per student or uh, per teacher, which has also been shot down with research. And welcome to the program. You get the final word on this. Well, adding to that point, the private schools pick and choose. When they have uh, disruptive students, they're gone. Mm. And if they need that, why don't they apply that same analogy on mathematics to the uh, people in government? They don't get the raises because they've got something to pay for. Why not? Why is it just the teachers that don't get the raises? Because there's something to pay for. And let these colleges raise their own money. They've got endowments. They've got donors. And it only benefits certain people. Why do I have to pay for it? Well, these are public universities. Now, again, philosophically, I agree with you. I philosophically and philosophically, you don't need to talk over me. Philosophically, I totally agree with you. All right, well, she's going to talk over me and gripe about it. I philosophically, I totally agree with her. You know, but they're public institutions, and because they're public institutions, they are taxpayer funded. Now, I think that that is generally a bad idea. Uh, for the university structure. I don't believe that these universities should be public institutions. The vast majority of them have these huge, massive endowments 
like she's talking about, which, by the way, are not taxed. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Why aren't university endowments taxed? They should be. Like I said, I agree with her on that point. Um, but that has to happen at a legislative level, and it it's not something that can happen in a budgetary sort of a situation. Okay, so... You know, he doesn't have the the governor doesn't have the power and even the legislature doesn't really have the power to to do that. Um, She did bring up a good point with why is it just the teachers going to get that one time windfall? Why? Why wouldn't anybody else? And the answer to that is very, very simple. Okay, so I'm going to talk somewhat slow so you understand. Not because I think you're you are all incapable of understanding. I just want to make sure that I don't miss anything. The reason that they want to give that one-time bonus to teachers only is because that's the most powerful union and that's the most effective way to get votes. Not because it's the best use of money, which kind of goes back to the budget director, Zach Jackson, going, hey, um, how about we spend $291 million instead of $717 million? It's got a valid point. Maybe that's why he's the budget director, Joe. He's good with numbers. Do you think? Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Once again, I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Uh, YouTube has told creators to create more inclusive videos. All right. You all suck, and I hate every single one of you. Regardless of what you look at, who, who and how you worship, and with whom you engage in intimate activity with. There you go. I hate all of you. Is that inclusive enough? 2020 resolution, dude. 2020. I want to thank our sponsor, R&B Car Company. R&B has a huge selection of quality SUVs, cars, trucks, crossovers, and minivans. I'm sure they're thrilled with being lumped into that opening statement. Go to rbcarcompany.com for special offers and promotions today. Okay, 574-2595-953. That is 2595. 953. You can also send me a text message 45364. Please put MNC at the beginning of that message. Casey, property owners are the taxpayers for schools. Renters don't pay school taxes, just property owners. False. False, 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 false. What property owner who pays that taxes doesn't pass it on to the renter? The one who isn't a property owner for very long because of foreclosure. That's who. Remember, if taxes go up for a corporation, they don't pay the tax. You do. They're just the intermediary to the IRS. Same thing for a property owner. Property owner gets the property taxes. The renter pays that taxes, especially since property owners who rent to people pay more of that taxes than property owners who live in said property. Lots more. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Casey, an update on that Twinkie cereal from yesterday. It's just kicks. Blasted with diabetes power. Uh, Powder. Not power. Powder. Uh, Ain't missing much. But I like kicks. I enjoyed kicks growing up. 
It was like just slightly sweet, but not too much. I mean, I enjoyed pops too, but kicks were always always good. Always miss the the wholesome commercials that kicks used to put out. Anyway, got an update at 953MNC.com on Brittany Ingle. Now, Brittany Ingle is the mother of those children who were hit and killed by Alyssa Shepard. Now, remember after the the sentencing, which we had a long discussion about and most people feel was not long enough, after the sentencing of Alyssa Shepard, um, the mother, Brittany Ingle, punched her and attacked her in court and was obviously arrested for that. You're not supposed to attack people in court, even though that's probably the best place to attack people. Uh, they, they've now said that they will not charge her with anything. During Shepard's trial in December, Ingle was arrested for an outburst after the sentencing was handed down. Initially, she was held for battery. A decision to forego charges was made during a hearing on Tuesday, which, of course, I think most of you are going to support. There is no reason that that woman should be charged for doing that. Um, Some of you probably will say, well, the law is the law, but this woman just killed your kids, even if... It was accidental, as she claims. You can forgive a mom for being upset at such a light sentence when this woman has just snuffed out your children. In another horrible case, locally involving the loss of life with children, this retention pond thing is now going to turn into, I believe, a major issue. I was just at Impress Jewelry Creations today, and obviously, I think most of you know that we have relationships with multiple businesses in that plaza. We've got Impress, we've got C. Kramer Interiors, we've got Temper, um, we've got the uh, the clothing store there as well, Judy's. Um, it's, you know, we pretty much know everybody there. And, you know, I have driven by this thing a thousand times, and I'm probably underestimating that. And I think many of you have too. I didn't realize this thing was that deep. Apparently it's like seven feet deep or something. I had no idea that this pond was that deep. All I knew was that an angry goose lived there and she didn't like me around when I parked near it. That's all I knew. You've got this horrible accident now and this family tragedy as a result of this thing. But it's not the first time that a vehicle has gone in there. But there's some other questions too about the road conditions that have come up as well. Now, we do generally talk about Mishawaka and the roads being pretty good, but you know, after talking with people who work there and are there every single day here recently, the, the roads were not cared for with the icy conditions. And this has been a kind of a running theme this year. We have not had a severe winter. But that early storm that we had, remember the, the first one that we got? Elkhart didn't do anything for the roads. I assume other cities didn't do anything for the roads. This wasn't a part of that storm, obviously. But the roads, according to people who worked there, were not cared for. Which could have led to this accident. But there's, I mean, obviously people are now talking about retention ponds. But there's other questions, folks, that have to come up about this whole thing. We're going to talk about this coming up on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel.
And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Once again, I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Phone number 574-2595-953. That is 2595-953. When a developer builds a new office park or a shopping plaza, local governments require them to provide drainage for stormwater that runs off roofs and parking lots, underground vaults, are one option for collecting water, though many developers opt for the cost savings and aesthetics of a man-made retention pond. But while local governments spell out rules for stormwater, including how deep ponds need to be, they demand few safety measures to help keep people and vehicles out of the man-made basins. The lack of barriers around many retention ponds has raised questions after an SUV plunged into the basins of Mishawaka, Last week, killing two children, leaving an infant and their mother in critical condition. That was just the latest crash into local ponds, leading some people to call for fences, guardrails or other barriers, while others have cast doubt on whether such measures would guarantee better safety. All right. So here's here's the thing. Nothing is guaranteed to make something 100 percent safe. So the idea that going in there and adding these these safety measures are going to make it 100% safe should automatically be discharged. It's It's not a legitimate or valid argument. The question is, do these occurrences, which do happen, although they are rare, they do happen. This isn't the one time that this has happened. This happens somewhat regularly rarely is this tragic but because it is a risk and it is something that developers have to deal with if they opt for this option rather than going with the more expensive option why not throw up some barriers which could prevent a tragedy from happening I think it's a question worth asking Certainly, we have all sorts of requirements about the number of parking spaces, the number of handicapped parking spaces, and all of those regulations. Sidewalks, everything's got to be made to code, right? So would this just be a natural extension of that, given that the risk is very, very severe? Or is it something that we just kind of leave alone and say, look, fluke accidents happen, that's what we're talking about here. That doesn't necessarily mean that we have to you know, have them spend a couple of thousand dollars more to put some boulders or some some of those um, concrete pillars or whatever, maybe even the metal pillars painted uh, to be aesthetic or what have you, which would prevent something like this from, from potentially happening. And again, you know, nothing is 100%. There's always going to be a scenario where an SUV hits one of those things and flips over and still goes into the pond. The question is, would it be more safe than it is now? Which I think is, again, it's a legitimate question. Five seven four twenty five ninety five ninety five three. John, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi. How you doing? I'm doing well. Well, you know, my opinion on this is, you you go to other states and you see a thing called storm sewers, and you come here and you look at neighborhoods in Granger or three four hundred thousand dollar houses with mosquito ponds latent in them. Um, the danger is the second. That's not a secondary issue, but it's uh, it's not a. It's not the right way to do city planning or neighborhood planning, 
And I think that's, you know, needs to be talked about. Well, and, you know, there is an argument that it looks nice. You know, and I think that you probably find a lot of those neighborhoods probably prefer this because of the aesthetic, like you're talking about. Maybe that aesthetic changes when you have all of the the security stuff around it. Maybe they don't want it as much. That's a valid point as well. Um, yeah, I like I like ponds, but in the summer. Yeah, well, there is that. Yeah, it. yeah. You got yeah. the mosquitoes. You got the health risks and things of that nature that that go in. There's no doubt that this is chosen because it's a cost saving measure, but. Yep, the justification yep. for it being a cost-saving measure is it adds to the aesthetic. Yeah, I, I mean, there, there's somewhat of an aesthetic issue there, but um, I just I think they're just doing it on the cheap, to be honest with you. Um, I, I have no doubt you know, we, that that is probably a primary motivating factor here, more yeah, so than the aesthetic. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that that is probably have, the case. Should have storm sewers, um, you know, for runoff water. Okay. All right. Hey, John, I appreciate it. Thank you much. All right, thanks. Take care. Five seven four twenty five ninety five ninety five three. That is two five nine five nine five three. This is at least the third time that we have had a car slide off into that pond. That turn right there in icy weather can be difficult sometimes. And I know that there have been times where I've gone on that road where it was icy and you're trying to stay with the road and it just keeps going, just slides. So. There is an issue with that particular pond, okay? Uh, and that we've known that for many years now. So perhaps it should have been addressed. Should have been addressed maybe the first time a vehicle went in it, maybe certainly after the second time, but now this is at least the third time that that has happened with this one pond. Now, with that said, it's really pretty. It's very nice, especially if you're going to be sitting outdoors and enjoying your meal at the restaurant there. Josh, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Yes, I was. I just had a comment about the um, storm drain issue. Um, I I really don't see a problem. I think that people um, blow this stuff up a little more than it should be because, I mean, there's trees all over the place. There's like this special tree that a lot of people have died around, but we don't put up a bur- barricade around the tree. I just think we need to focus more on safety. Uh, well, it, again, some people are trying to say that. You bring up a good point, though. There's dangers everywhere, you know, and you can't yeah. regulate all of those dangers away. Right, and, that's all I really have yeah, to say. That's, and it's a fair point as well. All right, appreciate the call. Thank you much. And, and like I said, you know, you might be, very well be in the camp that, hey, we don't need to we don't need to regulate this stuff. Now, from the developer's perspective, it would have been wise to put some barriers up, given that this has happened twice before at least. But there's another aspect here, too. The roads were not taken care of, which may very well have been a primary cause in this accident happening to begin with. So it may not even be the pond. It might be the fact that the government didn't take care of the roads in a proper and efficient way in inclement weather, which caused her to lose control of this vehicle. And a lot of people are ignoring that fact. Got more coming up. 95.3 MNC.